You know, uh, we've, uh, in the last few days, uh, I don't know if you all realize how much we've gone through to uh, figure out where we're going to meet, uh, how it's going to all work. Uh, we found out yesterday, of course, that uh, Holland Lakes was closed, and uh, it's been a mad dash. So we're glad you all are here tonight. And boy, the Lord does so much more when the, when the chips are down, right? Boy, was this good tonight, the beginning. Uh, I just wanted to keep singing. That was so good. Um, so, you know, the brothers asked, uh, which I think is good, uh, to just say a little bit about myself, what my name is and things like that. Um, some of you all I've you know, known for years because you come to these college conferences all the time. But anyways, my name is Neil, and um, I have three children, and two of the, two of the boys, they're at Georgia Tech, and then I have a girl at Emory. And uh, so, you know, usually what I like to do, it, do, it doesn't happen every time, but I like to ask them to pray for me for this conference when I'm sharing. And I'll tell them, you know, I'm the first night I'm going to share. So uh, the uh, second oldest, he's probably the most responsible, sorry. But <laughs> he uh, comes in with a text and he goes, I'm setting my alarm right now. So I'll pray for you. All right, Sam, good boy. And, <laughs> Then, then my daughter, Hannah, she's a freshman at Emory, and uh, she comes in, and, and, you know, freshman girl, she's got to be a little cool, you know, she's, you know, don't want to get too spiritual, so she goes, of course, Dad, and then, love you. <laughs> so there's a little emotion there. And then with my son, who's in graduate school uh, there, he said, praying, you know, and he didn't have much to say because he's in the lab all the time, so... Anyways, um, I have three kids. Uh, two, one's in graduate school, one's a senior. He's going to graduate uh, this year. And then, uh, uh, of course, my little Hannah, she's a freshman. And uh, so I've been doing this for a long time, this conference. And just to give you an idea how long, I'm not going to tell you how many years. Uh, I wanted Sam to come up here. Sam Chen, come on up. Okay, so Sam... You know, one of the first things he did was he, he, he grabbed me and says, Neil, we've got to get an appointment together. And uh, so uh, we actually, he's my first appointment on Monday morning at 1020. I've got to rush out of here and get to campus. And we're opening up and reading the economy of God. And what a great way to start the week. And then now Isaac uh, is going to join us, you know. Uh, and so you'll be there Monday, right, Isaac? And that's another freshman. So anyways, just to give you a <laughs> His father, this, this lets you know how long I've been around. I used to shepherd his father when he was here at UT, and he, his father and I took Chinese class together. And, <laughs> and so now, here's his son, and we're just continuing, right? Ni hama. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, anyways... I can practice with Sam now that uh, Caleb's not here. Um, so th this conference, oh, brothers, it's just so good. If you could just look at, uh, does everybody have an outline? Who, who needs an outline? Anybody need an outline? We got it. And uh, did you all put your name on it yet? Because you're going to need to put your name on it. We don't want to lose it. But if, if you could look at the very first page, table of contents you see there. We have uh, the, the title of the messages, so why don't we go ahead and we'll read through the titles. How about Brothers on One, Sisters on Two? Amen. Brothers, you see that one? Go. The vision of Christ. Okay, sisters. Pursuing Christ. 
Okay, brothers. Okay, then we can all together just do four. It'll be good enough. The application of Christ. Okay, so first of all, you need to see. That's the first thing in the spiritual realm, in the Christian life. The base thing, I would say the most fundamental thing is seeing. You can't experience without seeing. Seeing always brings in experience. And uh, if you look at the way the conference is laid out, I love this. You see first, and then what's the next thing you do when you see? You pursue. And then as you're pursuing Christ, what are you doing? You're gaining and experiencing Christ. And then finally, you're applying this Christ that you've experienced and gained. So do you see how it kind of works together very, very nicely? Um, so first of all, we need to see. So I was thinking of an example in the Bible uh, with Abraham. So I'd like to do a little illustration up here. I need uh, one Abraham and one Lot. So maybe these two brothers could come up here. Abraham and Lot. Okay, this is Abraham. Yeah. And this is Lot right here. And, and if you know what happened, there was a kind of a strife between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. And uh, eventually Abraham told, this is his nephew, said to him, okay, you choose what you want to choose. And so Lot chose Sodom and the, those, the, that area there. And, uh, and then Lot left. So go sit down, Lot. Okay. He took Sodom. Now, here's the interesting thing that a lot of people don't realize. Do you know what Lot means in Hebrew? It means veil, V-E-I-L. The veil was taken away. Then, as soon as Lot left, listen to what God said to Abraham. He said, look to the north. Look to the east. Look to the west. Look to the south. Everything you see, I'm going to give it to you. So the seeing comes first, then he gives it to us in the way of experience. So this is why we feel like we can't go too fast. We need, number one, the, the, the title of this is the vision of what? Christ. We need a revelation. Brothers, if we're going to gain him, we need a revelation. If we're going to pursue him, we need to see him. So even when Christ came, now think about this, when Christ came, you know, even the people around him needed a revelation. Who is this person? This mysterious person. You know, in John 1.11, it says this. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And they would say things like this. They'd say, well, isn't this Joseph, the carpenter's son? Isn't this Joseph's son or the carpenter's son? And then they'd say things like, well, aren't his brothers with us and his sisters with us? And uh, they, they, they had all sorts of ideas, but they didn't see who he really was. Think about how close they were. Think about it. If you were a brother of Jesus, growing up in the same house, eating with him day by day, resting with him day by day, playing day by day, in the wood shop day by day, if there was such a thing, and they didn't see who it was. So close, they didn't see who it was. Okay, then one day, the Lord is with the disciples, and this is in Matthew 16, and he asks this question. It's almost like it's out of the blue. Where did this come from? He says, who do men say that I am? And then they started saying, well, some say what? You're Elijah, right? Some say you're the prophet. 
Some say, you know, different things. And then he turned the question to Peter, and he said, who do you say that I am, Peter? See, so I'll look at Jackson, and I'll pretend you're Peter. Who do you say that I am, Peter? Christ. Yeah, stand up and tell, tell everybody what you see there, Peter. The Christ. Yeah, okay, but say the whole thing. He says, you, you are the Christ, and, and what's the rest of it? The Son of the Living God. The Christ and the Son of the Living God. Yeah. Okay, eventually, he, eventually Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You know what the Lord's response was? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not, what, revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter had a revelation. He realized this one is precious. This one is valuable. This one is not just common humanity. This one is very, very special. But Jackson, he had to have a revelation. And with each one of us tonight, we need to have a personal revelation of this person. And this whole message, I'll tell you right now, is basically for our seeing tonight. We could see, number one, his person, and then number two, his work. But it has to be something of a revelation. Um, you know, you think about it. You might, this question might come to your mind right away. Well, how do I get a revelation? Okay? I mean, you have to get a revelation, or else he's just a, a, a story to you. The man who did this, did that. He's just, it's just a story in a book. How does it become a revelation to you? I want you to think about this for a second. How does Christ become a revelation to you? Well, you look at that first verse there, Matthew 5, 3. Could we all read it together? Ready? Go. You know what the first thing is? We need to be emptied out of all that we think we know. Okay, let me ask you a question. If you, when you were growing up, elementary school, junior high school, high school, how many of y'all went to some, some type of Bible camp or something like that? Raise your hand if you went to some type of Bible camp. Yeah, now look at all these scholars here. <laughs> okay. okay, let me tell you, I promise you, many of you have lots of concepts about who Jesus is, you have lots of ideas of who Jesus is because you read different stories in the Bible. Okay, but you have to be careful. Is it just a story to you or is it a revelation? See, this is the point I want to touch tonight. Christ has to become a revelation where you see something more than just a story in the Bible. So in these next verses in Revelation, it gives us, listen to this, the key to get revelation. Do you want revelation? Okay, now, you look at verse 9 of Revelation 1, chapter 1, and I want you to underline, was on the island called Patmos. Underline that section. Was on the island called Patmos. So, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and endurance in Jesus. Okay, you read that little section I told you to underline. He was exiled. He was far away, think about this, far away from the Jewish religion, far away from the temple, far away from his relatives. He was exiled on the island of Patmos. He was removed completely from his situation. 
You know, you might be sitting there tonight. Every one of us had circumstances this week. Something happened in school. You know, Alex, we were fellowshipping, you know, before supper. And Where's Alex? Oh, there you are. Okay, you're hiding. <laughs> we were fellowshipping before supper, and, and Alex was telling us, boy, I had a situation today, right? Okay. <laughs> And, and, you know, every one of us, it's something happened this week. Something happened, whether it was something with school, something with friends, something with relatives. It was a situation. Okay, you got to be exiled right now. Right now, you got to drop that situation. Don't hold on to it. You need to get out. Okay, let me say that really clearly. You need to get out. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. He got out of his condition and his situation. That is the number one thing that has to happen for you to get revelation. You must get out. Okay, then two. Okay, could you all read verse 10 together? Ready, go. Not only do you need to get out, you need to get in. Okay, now I want you to underline there in verse 10, I was in spirit. Okay, did you underline I was in spirit? Okay, so could you all read that underline together? Ready, go. I was in spirit. Okay, so you have to get out, out of your situation. You have to get into the spirit if you're going to have revelation. Right, brother? Okay, then could we all read verse 12 and 13? Okay, how about brothers on 12 and sisters on 13? Ready, brothers, go. Okay, so this is what I want you to underline in verse 12. I turned to see. Do you want to see? You got to turn. You have to get out of your situation. You have to get into the spirit, and you need to turn so you can see, Jackson. Brother, I don't want you just sitting on the front row and not seeing. I want you to see, Jackson. Don't you want to see? Oh, me too. So, so, you know, that next verse, 2 Corinthians 3.16, look what it says there. Whenever their heart turns to the Lord, what happens? Veil is taken away. Lot is taken away. And you get to see all the good land. It's all yours. Okay, so can we repeat this? Get out. Get in. And turn. All right, sisters, ready? Go. Brothers, okay, together, get out, get in, okay, you will get a revelation, you will see Christ, okay, then on the, the matter of the person of Christ, uh, the first thing is he's the complete God, um, he wasn't part God, you know, some people you'll talk to out there, you know, they're in certain sects and different things, and they'll say, well, he was the son of God, but they would never say he was God. And you're going to run into people like that. They're going to come knocking on your door, and it's very subtle. They'll say, well, yeah, yeah, I believe he's the son of God. Okay, now, I want you all to remember this verse in Hebrews 1.8. When those people come knocking, okay, in Hebrews, and I want to give you a little bit on, on Hebrews, Paul is fighting a battle. He's He's there, and the Jewish believers 
were starting to drift back into Judaism. And so Paul, the way he fought this battle is by the way of comparison. And so what he was doing, number one in chapter one, was comparing angels to Christ. And he says in the verses before this, we didn't have room for all of it on the paper, but he says, but as to the angels, he makes them, he makes uh, them ministering spirits sent forth to those that, uh, that are going to inherit salvation. But anyways, he tells you what the angels are all about. Then in verse 8, he tells you what the Son is all about. Okay, now let's see what he says about what the Son is all about. You ready? Go. Stop right there. Stop right there and underline that. But of the Son, you're what? Oh, God. Okay, when we're talking about the Son, who are we talking about? God. Is Jesus God? Yes. This is the foundation of our faith. Jesus is God. Amen. Listen, if you ever get down, if you ever get a bad grade on a test, go out in your car and just proclaim, Jesus is God. Amen. And you will enter into a whole other realm. Amen. He is God. Amen. I tell you, it, there's like a witness in our spirit. We, we proclaim, Jesus is God. Right away, something witnesses. That's right. Amen, Jack. Isn't that right? Jesus is God, Jack. Amen. Oh, brothers. Okay, let's say it together. Jesus is God. Again. Jesus is God. Again. Jesus is God. That's the, that right there, let me tell you, is the, the bedrock, the foundation of our faith. Without that, our faith is shaken. Without that, listen, there's no redemption. Without that, there's no, nothing to have true faith in. We must see this as the very touchstone of our faith. Jesus Christ is God. Okay, then you look at those next verses there. And in Mark, you know, he, um, that, you, know, you know the story how they let this guy down through the roof and, you know, the plaster's crumbling and everything. And then all of a sudden... Up down through the roof comes these, you know, ropes with this man, this lame man on it. You know, you know, I just can't imagine what that was like. And what, what did the Lord say right away in verse 5? He said, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, what? Okay. Underline that. Child, your sins are forgiven. Now, you have to realize the, Phar the Pharisees, the scribes, they're sitting there and they're reasoning. That's what it says in the next verse. They knew the Old Testament. They knew that none but God can forgive sins. They knew that. But here's this one saying, child, your sins are forgiven. And they, then it comes out of their mouth. And he says, why is this man speaking this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except one God? And just for your reference, I put Isaiah 43, 25. They knew the Old Testament. And I want you all read Isaiah 45, 25 together. Ready? Go. The fact that he said, child, your sins are forgiven, points to the fact that he must be God. Only God can forgive sins. Okay, so this is the very 
touchstone of our faith. Then, two, he's a perfect man. Now, I want you to write this down. This is not on your sheet, but you must get this concept that I'm about to present here. Here is a total identification with man in the way of experience. So I'll say it slowly again. Write this down on your page. Here is a total identification with man in the way of experience. Okay, now don't you think he's the almighty God. Don't you think he knew man's condition? Now just think about this. Don't you think, I mean, he created us, Jackson. Don't you think he knew that we suffer? Don't you think he knew that? Yeah. Didn't you, Jackson, do you ever get hungry? Yes. Don't you think he knew man gets hungry? Right. I think so. How about thirsty? You ever get thirsty? Don't you think he knew that? Yep. Okay, he knew all these things. Here's the question. Did he know it in the way of experience? Yes. Yes. Not before he became a man, he didn't. No. No. no, he did not. As God, he did not know this in the way of experience. When he became the man Jesus, he began to experience everything that we experience. Wow. Okay, how many of y'all have brothers and sisters? Raise your hands. Okay, how many of y'all just have such a loving relationship with your brothers and sisters? You never fight with them? Uh. Okay, we got one or two here. You know? <laughs> uh, I, I can't tell you who I was talking to, but the, the other day, and he was telling me that when he was growing up, he was, you know, it was knock down, drag out fights with his brothers all the time. Okay. Now, you think about what it was like in that household with Jesus. I just want you to think about this. Perfect. No sin. Never got in trouble with mom and dad. And then there's, you know, we know from the Bible there was at least, I think it's four brothers or something like that and two sisters. Anyways, it was a, it was a, a big household. What do you think it was like with Jesus with his brothers and sisters? You know how people always like to kind of get someone and kind of dig at them and things like that to try to get them to lose their cool and everything? Okay. He lived 33 and a half years in that household. And he knew what it was like to be with brothers and sisters. He knew, but not only to be with brothers and sisters, he knew what it was like to be in tough times with brothers and sisters. Okay, why am I saying all this? I want to tell you why. There's a reason for this. Because of that identification with man, he can fully, now listen to me closely, sympathize with you and your weakness. Whatever you're going through, he can fully sympathize with you and not only sympathize with you, with you and your weakness, he's able to supply you with life in that very weakness and salvation in that very weakness. Okay, so look at those two verses in Hebrews. How about brothers on 15, sisters on 16? Brothers, go. Okay, just let's stop there. It's a double negative. It says, we do not have who cannot be touched. Basically, you could read it. We have a high priest, right? Who can be what? Touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. He can sympathize with you in every weakness you have because he's, he knows it in the way of experience. 
Okay, then, sisters on 16. And not only that, but he can supply you as you're going through that situation. Okay, then not only was he totally identified with man in the way of experience, okay, he was a perfect man. Now, sometimes it's hard to grasp it that this 33 and a half years, you know how we have this, this thing 24-7? Okay, 24-7 times 33 and a half, no sin. Okay, just read that one verse there, 1 Peter 2.22, I'll read it, just read it. Who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. Hey, Alex. Yeah. Alex, <laughs> what will we find in your mouth at 3 o'clock today? You don't have to tell us. Sister that's laughing there on the third row. <laughs> what will we find in your mouth at 2 o'clock today? Don't tell us. Okay, now you think about this. Here's a man, no guile. No guile. 33 and a half years. Okay, now, now I'm going to tell you a little funny fact. This is, I'm not trying to be mean to the sisters or anything like that, so I'm... I'm just, I'm just going to give you the facts. I'm not going to be mean. just going to give you the facts. But they've done a study, and they say that males speak 10 to 15,000 words a day. Uh, females speak a little more than that. Females speak 20 to 25,000 words a day. Maybe, maybe texting has brought it down a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> okay, now think about this. Ten, okay, let's, let's go to the very bottom, 10,000 words a day. No guile. 33 and a half years. Oh, man. Brother, if I could get through one day with no guile. I mean, you know, the, I, sisters, you might not have this problem, but we brothers, when we're driving in traffic... <laughs> You don't want to find what's in that mouth. You just don't want to find it. All sorts of guile is just, it's just like a stew cooking inside there. And then somebody cuts you off, just like that. Jackson, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. All sorts of guile. 33 and a half years, no guile. Okay, so I need uh, somebody that can write really well. Jackson, can you write? Or, I just need somebody that can write really well on the board. Who, who can write well? Me too. That's my problem. Okay, come on up, Cord. Okay, so what I want you to write here, just right here, is perfect man. Right here, and then we're going to leave some space on the right. Perfect man. Okay, so here's a perfect man. Good. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay, that's good. No, you're doing good. Okay, and then let's put a little arrow there. You're going to have to leave some space to get all the way across the board. Okay, yeah. Here's an arrow. And you know what a, that perfect man produced? Perfect blood. Okay, put that down. Perfect blood. So put that down. Okay, you know, if you're going to have an efficacious blood, a blood that deals with 
past, present, and future sins, it's got to be perfect. It has to be perfect. That life of Christ produced a perfect blood. Okay, and then we'll just do it this way. I, th I like this. We'll make a little arrow here. And you know what that perfect blood produced? Perfect redemption. Perfect redemption. So we have perfect man, perfect blood, perfect redemption. Okay, sisters, ready? Go. Perfect man. Yeah. Perfect blood. Perfect redemption. Brothers. Okay, great. Do you see how great it is that he became a man? So great. Okay, then number three. Okay, thank you, Court. Appreciate it. Okay, the third thing is the mingled God-man. Now, this, this, to some of you all, might not have ever heard this terminology, mingled God-man. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you through this. It's biblical. This is not something... That I just like pulled out of the air and said, oh, yeah, mingled God, man, that sounds cool. No, no. Let me tell you something. This is, this is from the Bible. Okay? So you have this. You, you have to realize here you have on one side he's the complete God. Then on the other side he's a perfect man. And then they come together in the person of Christ. The complete God and the perfect man come together and... We have to look for a word that defines the union of these two, and a biblical word. See, some people might say union, some people might say mixture, blending, whatever. But we have to look for the biblical word that shows how man and God in the person of Christ come together. You know what that word is? It's mingled. Okay, you look at Leviticus chapter 2. Go ahead and read Leviticus 2.4. Ready, go. Okay, so underline fine flour mingled with oil. And let me just say this. I just picked out one verse. Actually, there's a number of verses that use this word mingled in the Bible. And... The fine flower signifies the humanity of Christ. We know this because the Lord himself said in John, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. He's that one grain of wheat that fell into the ground. He is the fine flower. And we also know that the oil signifies the Holy Spirit because it talks about that, you know, you're going to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. Okay. So here's the fine flour, here's the oil, they come together. Now let me ask this question. When they come together and they produce that one cake, is the oil any less oil? No. Still 100% oil. It doesn't lose any of its inherent properties. And when the flour joins with that oil, does it lose any of its property of being flour? No, it's still 100% flour. And yet still, they're so mingled together, you just get one cake. This is the way we speak about Christ. He is the mingled God-man. Now, you might think, all right, so what? Okay, I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> you might think, oh, okay, it's like this. 
Now write this down in your notes. If you touch one, you get the other. Okay, now write that down. I know that you might not understand that now, but you will in a few minutes and see what that means. If you touch one, you get the other. If you touch his divinity, you get his humanity. If you touch his humanity, you get his divinity. Okay, so we have this case here. Here's this Samaritan woman. She's a sinful woman. She's been living with five husbands, and now she's with the sixth. And this Samaritan woman is there, comes up to the well. Jesus is sitting on the well. And let's see what she says to him. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, who am a Samaritan woman? So in her realization, who was this person at that point in time? Who was he? Probably dusty, probably looked tired, sitting on the well. How is it you being a Jew? Okay, you know what her problem was? She stayed there and talked to him. And listen, the more she talked to him, the more she realized, "Uh uh-uh, there's something more here than just a Jew. So they're talking, and they're going back and forth, and he's talking about if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's speaking to you, you would have asked, he would have given you living water. And then she says, yes, give me this water. Then the Lord says, go call your husband. And then she right away lies and says, I don't have a husband. Then the Lord says, you're right. You've had five. And the one you're living with is now your, is, is the sixth. Okay, then she started realizing, uh-oh, this is not just a Jew sitting at a well. Okay. Okay, now read verse 19. Realize there's something more here. So read 19. Go. And she started realizing, whoa, this is not a Jew, just a Jew. This is a prophet here. And you know what? Again, what her problem was, she stayed there talking to him. And they kept talking. And eventually, in verse 29, she drops her water pot. And goes into the village, and I want you to read verse 29. Ready, go. Come see a man who told me all that I have done. Is this not the Christ? He went from a Jew to a prophet to is not this the Christ. What did she touch in the beginning? Humanity. What did she get at the end? Divinity. Let me tell you something. You might think, well, it's a good Bible story. What does this have to do with me? Let me tell you, it has everything to do with you. As you're sitting there in that class, there's somebody that you study with. Every week you see that person. Every day you sit down next to that person. And at some point, as you're there with them, they're going to realize there's something more here. Hey, Jack, come on up. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you a test, Jack. Okay. Okay, so here's Jack. And I'm sitting next to him. We're working on the lab together and everything like that. And I, you know, Jack's a nice guy. He helps me out and everything like that. You know, he is upright, you know, nice guy. But at a certain point, I'm going to realize something more here. This is what I would call it. Jack plus. Now, I can't put my finger on it as an unbeliever. I don't know what that plus is. But I realize there's something more about this person than he's just a nice guy. And let me tell you, if he, you know, you know how we always talk to the young people, 
You've got to have morning watch. I'm sure, I don't care where you're from, I'm sure you've heard. You've got to have morning watch. You've got to read your Bible. You know why we tell you that? Because you've got to get mingled. You've got to get mingled. Every day you need to get mingled. More and more mingle with God. God needs to mingle himself with you. So that when you're with someone, they realize, uh-oh, this is not just a man here. There's something plus here. There's something more here. Okay, we, this all fully applies to us. Don't think any of us are exempt. Every one of us needs to live a mingled life. As people are with us, they start... I mean, I was, I was at my cousin's marriage, and I was out at a duck pond, and all we were doing was just feeding the ducks. And I think I said one little word about... You know, I meet with some Christians in Austin or something. This was up in Long Island. And all of a sudden, we're feeding the ducks, and she's there with her daughter, and she starts crying. I hadn't said anything, and I didn't even know what happened. And she starts crying. She says, I just sense such a peace inside of you. And I realize she touched the mingling right there. Even she didn't know it. She touched the mingling. You know what? We all need to have that type of experience. People are with us. They realize something more here. Something plus here. And eventually, we might, you know, Jack might say to him, hey, I want you to come to a home meeting. Now, what's that all about? Oh, we just are some Christians, and we love the Lord, and, you know, we sing. Then all of a sudden, okay, now I know what the plus is. Now I get it. Because there's an unfurling of the flag there. So I would say two things. Number one, we need to get mingled in the morning. And number two, during the day, we need to unfurl our flag. Okay, and I'm not talking about, you know, talk the person's ear off preaching the gospel to them. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying just tell them you're a Christian, period. Can you do that? Hey, Sonny, can you do that? Can you say, I'm a Christian? There you go. Hey, Hannah, can you do that? Say it. I'm a Christian. Isn't that easy? Yeah. They'll realize there's something more. Okay, then, okay, thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. You just don't realize how much this explains our experience. Okay, so you're there in morning watch. This is you having morning watch. You're enjoying the Lord, and all of a sudden, the Lord reminds you of an email that you got that you didn't respond to yet. And you realize, I really need to do this. Well, what is that? You touched his divinity, and you got something of his humanity. See, don't be surprised. You know, we think, oh, man, it's all spiritual. I just want to be in the heavens. Hey, Grace, Grace, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to be enjoying the Lord, and the Lord's going to say, clean your room, Grace. <laughs> you touch his divinity, you get his humanity. Listen, then, then, then there's another one here where he, he, he takes hold of the child in Luke 8, 54. You see that? And he called out saying, child, arise. Now, is that humanity or divinity? That's divinity. That's the, you know... The divine power there raising up this child, okay, and her, and her spirit returned and she rose up instantly and he directed that what? Something be given to her what? 
Wow. Humanity. Divinity's there, but then humanity comes in. Okay? <laughs> Some of us are very, very spiritual. And we just want to stay in the heavens all the time. And the Lord says, hey, Andrea, go study. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. See, see, Andrea, you touch his divinity, right away his humanity comes in. Okay, it explains our experience so much. Now, do you have more of a feeling when I say the mingled God-man? 100% God, 100% man. Okay, then he's the image of God. Uh, how about brothers on Colossians 1.15 and sisters on 1.3 uh, together? Ready, brothers, go. Who is the image of the invisible God? Okay, sisters. Okay. Do you know that with Christ, nothing was left out? He was the complete expression of God. Nothing was left out. Everything he did expressed God. Listen, everything he didn't do expressed God. Everything he said expressed God. Everything he didn't say expressed God. He was the complete expression of God. If you wanted to know God, you had to know Christ. If you didn't know Christ, you, you might have some idea but you did not know God in a complete way. Wouldn't you say so, Jackson? You just did not. Okay, in, in the Old Testament, basically in the Old Testament, the people knew God or Christ in the way of types and shadows and figures. Uh, I, I would say this, that it was not bright. It was more kind of, I, would, I don't want to say shady, uh, but it was just not such a clear thing who God is. You had some feeling of who God was, but you didn't see it so clearly. Then look what happened when Christ was born in Luke 178. Okay, read Luke 178. Go. Do you realize that when Christ was born, the sun rose? You're no longer in shadows. You're no longer in figures. You're no longer in types. The rising sun is there giving us a complete knowing of God in the person of Christ. Okay, then the wisdom of God. Uh, this is really good. Why don't we read 1 Corinthians 1.30. Ready, go. Okay. All right, so, you know, I need Alan up here again. Okay. So let's say, you know, I've been friends with Alan for a while, but there's one thing is I don't know how wise he is. You know, we just have fun together. We do things together. But, you know, I didn't realize this is, this is a sage right here. This, this, person is, this person is really wise. Okay, you know when I find out that this person's really wise? When they're, all of a sudden, there's a major problem in my life. And I need Alan to help me. And Alan comes over and just says a few things, and, or does a few things, and it's fixed. And I go, whoa, Alan, you're wise. You're a wise man. <laughs> okay, now listen. I know this sounds funny. 
You know what the biggest, thanks Alan, you know what the biggest problem in the universe was? This was a major problem. The fall of man. That was a catastrophe. That was a major problem. Now you think about it. First of all, man's spirit was deadened. And you can write this down. His spirit was deadened. No long, it was made to contact God, to contain God, to receive God. All of a sudden, that spirit, immediately when man fell, was deadened. Okay, then the soul, which is his mind, emotion, and will, was made to express God, magnify the Lord. You know, even Mary says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. You know what that soul that was made to magnify the Lord became? Self. Catering to carnal desires, catering to its own things, it became the self. Instead of expressing God, it became expressing things that were ugly. And then this body that God gave us to exist on this earth for his glory became a body of sin and death. Just think about this. Here is a catastrophe in the universe. The spirit is deadened. The soul has become the self. And the body has become something of sin and death. We need wisdom. We need real wisdom in this situation. You know what? Christ is wisdom to all three parts. Did you notice that there's three things? He became wisdom to us from God. And what are the three things? Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Righteousness is for our spirit. Now, you can write this verse down and look it up later, Romans 8.10. It says, the spirit, this is little s spirit, is life because of righteousness. The spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay, then our soul, he's, what did he do with our soul? He's sanctifying our soul. He's saturating our soul with himself. And eventually, this soul that was just full of self and not expressing God by that constant day-by-day -day sanctification, and this is the second word, sanctification, now is being recovered back to what? Not express Omar, express God. Omar, wouldn't that be great? Amen. People look at you and they say, God. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? God. Come on, Gomar, don't you like this? <laughs> okay, then, 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 then even he's saturating our body, giving life to our body, until eventually when he comes back, it says, just like this, in the twinkling of an eye, he'll glorify our body. That's wisdom in three ways. Righteousness for our spirit, sanctification for our soul, and then redemption for our body. Okay, we've got to move on because I'm going to run out of time. Uh, let's go quick to the process of Christ. Incarnation. Okay, what's incarnation all about? Hey, Matt, what do you think? What's, what's incarnation all about? Like, if you could give us a little definition of incarnation, just, yeah, just like, a, like a, you know, a phrase. What, what is it all about, Matt? Incarnation. And don't tell me in San Antonio they have incarnate word. I, I know about that. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so, so, so tell me, tell me, what, what is incarnation all about? Okay, you, I, I won't put you on the spot. Okay, write this down. 
the infinite God became a finite man. Okay, so Matt, come on up here. I still got to use you. <laughs> okay, now think about this. Think about this. This man, Jesus, there was a man, he had a certain height. I mean, you could measure. See, if I look at Matt and I measure, I'd say, I'm guessing around 6'4", six, 6'3", six, somewhere in there. What is it? Like six foot, six foot one. Okay, six one. I'm a shorty. That's why I think, you know. Okay, okay, six one. Okay, then listen, listen. Even he had a certain weight. Christ had a certain weight. Okay, now if we're, we're going to check Matt's weight here. You know? Okay, I, I'm thinking about 180, but I, I don't know. If, is that close? Or? Close, 196. Okay, 196. He's gained a few pounds, yeah, but yeah. Okay, okay. Christ had a certain measurement, certain height, certain weight. Uh, I mean, look at even his belt there. You know, what is that? Is that a 36, 38? <laughs> Should I keep going up? <laughs> okay, there was a certain measurement around his waist. I know that sounds funny, doesn't it? Infinite God became a finite man. Okay, let me tell you, the word that you have to catch, thank you. Okay, the word that you have to catch Incarnation means, and then you fill in this one word, and I'm going to tell you the word to put in there, available. Okay, put that down. Incarnation means available. Okay, for the first time, God became so available to man. Think about it. Did not John lie on his breast? Did he not eat and drink with the disciples? Right. Did he not pray with the disciples? Did they not go to the Garden of Gethsemane together? Did they not go up to the mountain together? He became so available to man. This was the initial step in availability. Now this God, think, of it, think about the Israelites. There they are in Exodus. And God is going to come down and meet with them. It's not on your page, but I wrote this down just to give you a feeling of where we are today. This is in Exodus 19, 11, and 16. This is what Levin says, 19, 11. And be ready for the third day. For the third day, Jehovah will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. He's coming down to see his people. And this is verse 16, so sad. And on the third day, when it was morning, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, and all the people who were in the camp trembled. They said, Moses, you go up. <laughs> Listen, even God told them, you have to set a bound around the mountain. Don't let the people break through, because if they do, they'll die. Wow. Okay, you have to realize, does that sound like availability to you? Okay, that's Exodus 19. Okay, but then you come to the New Testament and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That right there is availability. God became available. And I would say this is an initial step in availability. We'll get to a more advanced step. But He became available. Human living. What is our thought about human living? 
What's our thought? I'm not going to ask anybody, but I'll tell you what a prevailing thought is, is that he set an example. And this is the thought. This is the example. What to do and what not to do. You, re you read the New Testament, you read about Jesus, then you realize, okay, I shouldn't do this, I should do this. Have you ever heard of this term, WWJD? That's the thought. There's an example there of what to do and what not to do. Okay? Actually, the example that he left is much deeper than that. Wow. And I want you to write this down and I want you to get this. And you'll see it. It's in the verses. The example that he left was of a, of a man, and write this down, living by another life, the father's life. Okay, let me say this again. The example that he gave us was of a man living by another life, the father's life. And if you look at the verses, you'll be amazed. Okay, sisters, how about you, John 5, 19 and 30? Ready, sisters, go. Okay, you better stop right there. The son can do what? I didn't say it. Write that down. I mean, circle it, underline it, you know, put yellow on it, whatever. The son can what? Do nothing from himself. Keep going. Except when he sees the father doing Right. There's your example right there. The son can do nothing from himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Okay, go ahead. Verse 30, sisters. I can do nothing from myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Brothers, 1249. <laughs> And in everything he did, he lived by another life. Think about all the things toward the disciples. He was living by the Father's life. Toward the opposers, he was living by the Father's life. Toward miracles, he was living by the Father's life. Okay, now just think, think about, I just want you to think about this, and then you start to realize how rich this is. He prayed all night to pick the 12 apostles. And, and the verses are actually down here in Luke 6. Prayed all night. And you know, we know that Christ was omniscient, all-knowing, right? Do you, do you not believe that he knew when he picked Judas that one was going to betray him? He had that knowledge. He knew for sure this one's going to betray me. And yet he was not living by his own life. He was living by the Father's life. And the Father said, pick Judas. How about you? Okay, you're praying all night. And, you know, I know Jack's going to betray me. <laughs> I know you never would, Jack. But anyways. <laughs> and then I'm there. And I'm going, Jack, are you sure, Father? Jack Burris. I said, are you sure, Jack? There'd be a struggle. Okay, then, let's say that I went along and I did it. 
I picked Jack. Father told me to pick Jack. I did it. What do you think it would be like inwardly in my being as I'm walking around with Jack? Don't you think I'd act a little differently? I'd be watching my back. What's Jack going to do to me? <laughs> you know, is he going to steal from me? Is he going to do this, do that? He's living by another life. He was not in that realm. If there was anyone qualified to pick the 12 apostles, it was Christ. No sin. And yet he lived by the Father's life, and he picked one that would betray him. Do you know what this is right here? This right here is the essence of Christianity. Do you know what the essence of Christianity is? Not I, but Christ. And Paul echoes that in Galatians 2.20. Not I, but Christ. This right here is the essence. Do you want the example? The example is right here of a man who lived by another life. Then you're in this situation, and you come to Luke 15, and everybody knows Luke 15. It's a prodigal son, and, you know, father running, kissing him on the neck. They don't understand what happened right before that. Right before that, he comes to eat with Pharisees. I mean, to eat with publicans and sinners. And this is what the Pharisees said to him. They were saying this. This is in verse 2 of chapter 15. It says, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Have you ever been to a welcome dinner? This is where we get it, right from here. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, listen. They were saying it in a negative way. So what would you say? You're the Lord Jesus, and... uh, they're riding you. What would you say? You know, in our way, we would vindicate. We'd say, don't you know who I am? I'm the Savior. I came here to save these people. You know? Of course I'm welcoming sinners and publicans and all these things. Okay. You know, he didn't say that at all. He's there living by another life. And you know what flows out of his being was three parables. And the shepherd finding the lost sheep. Left the 99, find the lost sheep. Then the fine woman sweeping to find the lost coin. And then the loving father running to receive the prodigal son. You know what he did? He just unveiled the Trinity, the triune God, and its love to reach man and bring man back to himself. That was his response. You know what that is? That is living by another life. Okay, crucifixion. Okay, we got about five minutes, and then we'll, we'll stop here. Uh, the big thing that you got to get out of crucifixion is he, he defeated the devil. Yes. Okay, let's all, let's all stand and read Hebrews 2.14. Ready? Go. Yeah. Since therefore the children have shared in blood and flesh, he also himself in like manner partook of the same. That through death he might destroy him who has the might of death. That is the devil. Okay, listen. Okay, you can sit down now. You know what? If you take care of the head guy, all the subordinates are dealt with. You know, I call him the big kahuna. You deal with the big kahuna. I looked that up. By the way, you Google kahuna. It's there, and it's like the head guy. Okay. I think it's some Hawaiian word or something for the head guy. The big kahuna. You know what? He dealt with him on the cross. Amen. He destroyed the devil. Amen. Satan, you're destroyed. Amen. And you know what happens? 
Sin is over. Sins are over. The old man is over. The world is over. The self is over. The flesh is over. The ordinances, every negative thing, thing was dealt with when he dealt with the devil. And then you see a picture of it here when David sliced off the head of Goliath. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath thereof and slew him and did what? Cut off his head therewith. And what happened when he cut off his head? Read the next phrase. Oh, you got to say it with a little more spirit. Read that phrase again. Go ahead. They fled. When Christ dealt with, the, with Satan on the cross, everything was taken care of. Okay, then uh, in resurrection... Uh, look, at, look at that verse. It said, God raised up, 224, having loosed the pangs of death since it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death was trying to hold him down. But it was not possible. You ever, you ever hear these scores? Sometimes you'll hear them on the radio where, you know, some women's team, they played against some little, little college or something and they won 128 to nothing. You know, and they put the subs in, the worst players, and they still won 128 to nothing. That's what it was like. <laughs> Death tried to hold him down. Not even close. You know, we have this, this Hollywood thing that, you know, Christ is there, and he's, you know, in his grave clothes, and, and he's bound up, and then all of a sudden, the third day, and all the grave clothes come ripping off and flying in the air, and dun 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 Jesus! <laughs> Not even close. He's laying down, wakes up, probably dusts himself off, gets up, folds his grave clothes, and walks out of death. And let me tell you something. He's walking out of death in your situation every day. And the reason, listen, the reason he can walk out of death in your situation every day is because of the next point, that in resurrection, he became the LGS. You know what the LGS is? Life-giving spirit. And you talk about availability. You know, his incarnation, it was there and it was good, but it was still limited by time and space. But now... We have broken the veil of availability. Now, anytime, any place, wherever you are, on the earth, under the earth, above the earth, Christ is the Spirit, and He's so available to you. Amen. And then, I ran out of time, but He ascended, and we, we know that in His ascension, He uh, became a leader and a Savior to arrange all your situation so that He could be your Savior. I don't have time for that, and... Ultimately, he descended, and he's indwelling you. And in Acts 2.17, let's read that together. Poured out. All flesh. Poured out. It's, it's almost like, you know, when you, when you dunk yourself in a swimming pool. What is the water trying to do when you stay underwater? What is it trying to do? It's trying to get in your nose. It's trying to get in your mouth. It's trying to get in your ears. It's trying to get in wherever it can get in. 
That's how available the Spirit is. It's in your heart and in your mouth. That's what's happening. That Spirit is just waiting. Will, Andrea, will you call on the Lord? Will you say, Lord Jesus? Lord Jesus. Yeah. Oh, good. Now I can get in. You know what? He's just waiting. He's waiting. It's the ultimate in availability, his dissension. Okay, so I hope, you know, we began this time with we want to see something. I hope there's been some unveiling to you of this person and his work. Okay, and the more you see, remember, the more you'll be brought into the experience. Okay, I think we have, uh, we're, we're going to do, it's another part of what we're doing tonight. Okay. Amen. Good.